Nerds International proudly presents Downtown Chicago I'm sitting in this crummy bar and this broad walks up and she says this is bonus content and it will not affect the scheduling of your usual 3 TRPG broadcasts. Welcome everyone to this bonus episode of the 3 TRPG podcast. Today I've got a very special guest. He's from the Murder Hobo Show. Hello Gary. Hello Harrison. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. You are such a lovely English chap. Sorry, uh, was I supposed to read that part right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've known Gary for about, what, like four years now? This is the first time I've invited you onto the podcast. Wow. You're, uh, I take back what I just said. <laughs> Sorry, man. Look, I meant to send you an invite earlier. It must have got lost in the mail. It's somebody is floating in the middle of the ocean between us? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. But the thing is, um, on this podcast, obviously, Gary, you're more than welcome to say whatever you like, because we don't have no censorship, because we obviously used to do the, well, we still do the Wild Die together, but I've been having a break from that. And uh, yeah, on that show, we have to be PG-13, so, we, we well, today we're going to be talking about ICRPG, but Gary, if you want to let loose, then please do. So this is this is the place that I can confess my true love for you? Mm, no. No, all right. Forget everything I just said. <laughs> Forget everything I just said. Don't ever say anything. No, fact do. Right. So today we are talking about ICRPG, Gary's podcast, the Motor Hobo Show. He used to do a section all about that, but he talks about it all the time. Uh, and obviously, on your show, you do you have a YouTube channel where you do tutorials for um, bloody what is it called? Virtual tabletop. Tabletop simulator. That's the one. But um, I've played in ICRPG games with you before, and they were awesome. So basically, I've invited you on to talk about ICRPG, Index Card RPG. Why is it good? What does it do? Can it be used as a wall insulation? All those questions are going to be answered today. Isn't that right? I hope so, especially the wall insulation one. Magic missile! I'm out of mana! So, let's start at the beginning then. What is ICRPG? Why does it have that name? Well, I can't really say why it has that name, but what I can tell you is that it actually does come – actually, let me rephrase that. I think I can. I think the reason it is, it's called Index Card RPG is because the idea behind it was they were looking for a system simple enough that you could put it on an index card. And I'm pretty sure that's sort of the premise behind it. Now, a lot of people will know that if you if you were to order this on RPG, that it's going to come with index card size images. And that could also have something to do with it. You get, um, I think there's, man, I, I, I can't even tell you. There's probably, no, actually, I can't tell you. See, there's things that I know that I don't know that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Each one of the volumes, there's two fantasies and there is a sci-fi and now there's even a Western one. And each one of these volumes comes with 100 images. You could take these images just like a deck of cards. Once you print them out and cut them off, everything's print and play. You you just shuffle them together, and then just lay it out. It has a it has a really unique mechanic in here that will tell you how to storyboard, and make your own adventures just by laying down the images in front of, um, in front of yourself on a table and just sort of following the pattern, which is really cool. Yeah, I remember the first time you ever demoed the game for me, and we kind of did well. It was like a little demo of that that storyboard mechanic, and it was essentially just images on a piece of paper, and you can interpret those how you want. And it gives you this like guide of where you need to go. Like if the players go left, then they end up at this card. If they go right, they end up at this card. But they always resolve on the same one. And I remember you put down a picture of a fire 
and then it was like, okay, you're at the pub, you're sitting around a fire, and then you pulled out the next card and it happened to be a chicken and you're like, then your chicken gets served. <laughs> and I remember it was like, it flowed really <laughs> well. But yeah, so that's one way of playing it, but th- that doesn't have to be played that way. Yeah, essentially it's a do-it-yourself uh, sort of toolkit. Um, Hanker and Furnail, the guy that wrote it, Brandish Gilhelm, basically created this book, taking things that he likes using in his games and sort of just pieced together this quick and easy, simple system. Um, I've always said that I've read um, out of the however many pages is in this book, 300 and 200 and something. I Mm -hmm. I made it to page 72 before I realized I never had to read this book again. Once I read the manual and I I realized what he was getting at and the simplicity of the system, it's it's the cool part about this system. And one of my favorite parts is you don't have to pick the book up again to play it. You'll never find yourself looking for a rule or any of that kind of stuff because it's just it's that easy. That's a good point, actually. Um, so, speaking of the system, what type of system is it? How how does that work? Because you said it can do Western sci-fi and fantasy, and we'll get onto that later. But as for the system, you're saying it's so simple, you never need to pick up the book um, once you've read it once. So, how how does it work? If I was okay. a layperson, so you want to play some ICRPG. This is how you go about doing it. Character creation is as simple as starting with an image or an idea as to what it is that you want to play. Excuse me. Once you've got that image or that idea in mind, you'll, you have six points that you can put into any one of your basic Dungeons and Dragons stats, uh, strength, wisdom, intelligence, charisma, dexterity. You know what I mean? You've got your basic D and D stat. If you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, you'll be familiar with this. All you do is put points into each one of those stats, but you also have um, basic effort, weapon uh, weapon effort, magic effort, and what's called ultimate. So there's four other stats, and you have an armor class that starts with a base of ten. Like there's very few things. So when you when you say you start off with those six points, and this is something I actually I actually want to ask you live on air to clarify for myself, you can spend those in the attributes like strength, dex, con, all of that shite, right? But you can also put it into your armor and weapons is that right yes yeah you can put those six points into anything so if you wanted to make a, a tank heavy sort of character you would choose probably like constitution so that you can get your hit points up uh, you would choose something like strength because most tanks are going to be sort of melee oriented or you could put it into your basic armor and change your 10 to you know whatever it is up to you could put all of your points in 10 you're free to do whatever you want and place them wherever you want you want to make a, a damaging character say you wanted to make a damaging archer uh, dexterity would be sort of your primary skill or weapon effort for example would be where you would put your points and you just split them up between decks now remember um when you're playing dungeons and dragons and you do your typical 3d6 or 4d6 roll you're using the main attributes up to like 18 usually it's 3 to 18 right this this gets rid of that initial number and just uses the modifier so anytime you're making a roll you just add the modifier and you you forego the rest of it so it's it's pretty straightforward that way Um, The other cool part about it is there's only sort of four levels of damage that you can do. If you're working with your hands, you get what's called basic work. Um, That's if you don't have a tool. So if you're just going to, you know, try to punch a door, your basic effort is four. So you roll a D4. If you have a weapon, it's D6. If you have a magic or you're casting spells, it's D8. And if you roll a 20, rather than roll damage twice, you get this cool thing that he put in here called ultimate effort. And that's a D12 that you get to add on to whatever it is that you're doing. So let's say you want to smash down the door. 
and you you successfully hit the door, which wouldn't I wouldn't even make you roll because it's a door. Um, you roll uh, you roll a twenty, I guess, and then you would add your basic, which is your D four plus your D twelve. I guess a door is a bad example, eh? You want to punch <laughs> a troll in the face? <laughs> you want to punch? You want to murder hobo somebody? You're going to punch the guy that owns the cabbage cart, square in the melon, and steal his cabbages. Roll to hit him on a twenty. You add ultimate, which is pretty neat. And other than that, there's really not much to actually creating a character. It's uh, it's a simple, basic D20 sort of system. You roll the 20-sided die to determine whether or not you, you succeed or fail. And then uh, any weapon that you have in game is all D6. So you never have to look up how much damage does this sword do? How much damage does this gun do? How much damage does my laser blaster or my, you know, my chainsaw do? It's all D6, which is, you know, just it's super simple. When I told this to uh, my group about the weapons, originally they were like, kind of like, fuck this game. But I actually think it's a good thing because A, you can level up uh, at the beginning if you want to put points into your weapon effort. And B, the way that they're leveling up, I'm doing I'm doing quotes with my fingers here, the way the leveling up works in this game is kind of um, different anyway because a lot of things you'll level up by getting loot, right? And that can be like, Okay, you find the chest and this sword does a cool effect. Instead of just being like a D6 plus one, it'll be like this sword, it does a D6 damage like any other sword, but also this other thing. It might upgrade a stat. It might give you a special ability, something like this, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so Flexibility right there. Sorry to cut you off. That That is ultimate flexibility. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a couple of things. Oh, the longer I played the system, the more I realized sort of how cool that is. Here's the reason why that sword you find it might it is not just a plus one. It could double your speed. It could let you fly. It could help you cast a fireball. It can roll two d six, three d six. Like you put the stats on the sword. You've created this item, and just wielding that weapon allows you to do uh, you know a myriad of things. And maybe that sword when you unsheath it, it glows. Maybe you turn invisible. Like, and then here's the cool part. As you progress throughout the game, let's say you start taking stuff that sort of makes you uh, like fire oriented. And then all of a sudden you're going to go into the depths of hell and start fighting fire people where you realize they're all immune to fire. You can just leave all your gear at home and start trying to find frozen or frost stuff. And and so you, you're not pigeonholing yourself into a tree that says you're a fire mage and becoming useless. You, you know, it's cool that way. Yeah, I like that a lot. But the he, the thing is, when you level up as well, there is one other thing, uh, milestones. Can you tell us about milestones? Yeah, milestones are basically uh, skills and abilities that you get that can't be taken away, unlike magic items, which in ICRPG will break or you could lose or somebody could steal them. Milestones would be things like you could get a what they call a heart, and a heart is 10 hit points. So you can't really take that away from somebody or you'll get a, a special ability um, like a cool milestone one of the ones that I really like is a, is a speed quiver or like a rapid fire quiver for an archer and if you roll over I believe it's 13 it was lowered if you roll over that you get a fire again so if you keep rolling over 13 you're continuously firing this all of a sudden you become Hawkeye with this one simple artifact yeah, um, another, in the um, in the short campaign that we played I was um, a mage, and I was just looking up in the book, because I remember I picked the shield crystal as one of my milestones, and it was like, now you can't get hit by ranged attacks, which was amazing. 
Yeah, right up until it gets stolen or it gets broken or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, you walked through the um, through the town. Uh, through, um, I can't remember what it was called, Norberg. You walk through the town of Norberg through the marketplace, and um, one because we use what's called a threats uh, and and treats die, a threats treats and t- uh, timer, which is a D four. And as it circ- as the game circles around, you, you every time it comes back to the DM, you turn that one down. So basically, every four rounds, a thing can happen that can be a threat, like something negative, or it can be a treat, something positive. Well, that happened to land on you guys as you were going through the marketplace, and the the premise of what the the threat was was that um, I made you roll to notice whether or not something had been lifted off of your person. Um, a bunch of little kids or whatever had sort of strolled through the market and they had stolen your thing. So uh, I didn't tell you what it was, but I did manage to get that back off of you. So it would have been cool to see you standing there the next time a missile comes in. You're like, ah, and then dunk right in the head. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny, man. I remember that uh, I had a, a pretty cool item because. The thing is, we'll we'll get onto the timer thing in a minute, but um, essentially, the whenever you kind of come up to a chest or maybe you kill a monster and and the DM wants there to be loot, you've got like a bunch of different loot tables. So your character kind of levels up by getting all this loot, but you've got things like what is it, shabby loot, epic loot, cursed loot. That's those are the fantasy ones, and then there's like a sci-fi table as well. And for the Western one, which is Ghost Mountain, is it called? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and and it's pretty awesome because I remember we I don't know if it was shabby or epic or what whatever, but I had a uh, heart that was like I could hold it up and people would run in fear, and I remember we were doing like a stealth section through through the town trying to get to this place, and uh, I just held the heart up. These two guys were like, "Hey, you shouldn't be here," and I held it up, and they went, "Okay, carry on." Yeah. What What was that thing? Was it Was it like a way to persuade somebody to do something? It was a, I can't remember what it was called, but it's like a fear heart or something like this. And it was just like this big pulsing heart. It was like pretty gross. But yeah. the, the, obviously you, we talked um, just a second ago about, you know, us rolling to see if we got robbed. And this game does like, a, it's an interesting way of doing difficulty. Um, obviously when you have D and D, you know, the GM sets the difficulty depending on any task. But in ICRPG, it's very different. How is that, Gary? Well, let me tell you how that is, Harrison. Thanks, so mate. So anytime, anytime you're in a situation there, or or something is about to happen, or you know, let's 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 use the the basic trope of uh, goblins. You're in a goblin battle. You're walking through a cave. Um, you know, it's dark. It's it's murky. It's it, it's dungeony. Uh, you would set that would be called the scene. And so you would set the scene number for that sort of ed- encounter. Let's say that j- you're just going through the dungeon. You set the scene at 10. So you're trying to do things like hide and, and you know, stealth and be sneaky. But there's really nothing going on. You're just sort of walking through a dungeon. Um, the scene number would be 10. You want to do something along the lines of learn a spell or, uh, you know, sharpen your sword or something along those lines. You, you would roll against the 10, that sort of that scene number finding secret doors because there's really no hazards going on then suddenly this band of goblins walks out and you take that scene becomes a new scene with the higher target number say of like 13 or 14 you can adjust it up to 20 
Uh, usually C numbers are between so, sort of 10 and 20. Maybe 13 is is sort of a, a common one. But once this band of goblins comes out, things start to get real. You're trying to dodge arrows. You're trying to look out for, you know, the crappy weapons or, you know, cast spells while you're not getting hit. So things get tougher to do. So you just change the C number. But then that C number, once it's changed and you're fighting them, it doesn't change again until sort of the scene changes. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool part about this is that scene number allows the player to see whether or not they've succeeded immediately. Um, what I've noticed in the in some of the new games that I'm doing as, as a game master, I'm trying to let go of the part where I explain what has happened when you succeed or fail. Um, with a target number of 13, for example, <clears throat> I had Matt in my game, Matt Stark, we are fighting the Shadow Lasher, which is like a sort of like a shadowy sort of wolf dog with this long tail. And it has two abilities. It can pounce. So it leaps. It gets two attacks per turn. It leaps. And on a success, it pins you down. Once you're pinned or if you get pinned, it can then either bite you or sorry, let me rephrase that. It can bite you. Uh, and or in if you're pinned, it can hit you with its tail, which is this long, sharp barb kind of a deal, right? Matt's fighting it. And he wants to throw his spear at it. As it leaps off him and attacks another player, he goes to throw his spear. So uh, he rolls the dice, he succeeds, and then normally it would be the DM's job to narrate. But because Matt knows that he succeeded, I'm trying to take a step back and say, this is your turn to take over this part of the story. You explain to me what happens when you throw the spear. And Matt's like, I want to throw it right in his asshole. And if you know Matt, (laughs) and and Matt's dry sense of humor, I literally like almost fell out of my chair laughing. I did not see that coming because Matt's really dry. But that's one of the cool parts about ICRPG setting that scene number. When the players, because it's on the table and in front of the players all the time, they know whether or not they succeeded or failed. And they can narrate without asking the game master whether or not they passed or failed. It eliminates that step. Did I succeed? The target number's right there. You know if you did. Just tell me what happens. You roll the dice and explain based on the you know whether you succeeded or failed what happens. It's cool like that. And the cool thing is, is there's a really simple system for adjusting the difficulty on the fly because obviously everything you do in the scene isn't going to be exactly the same, but you've got hard and easy rolls as well. Yeah. Is it, if it's easy, it's a minus three... And if it's hard, it's a plus three to your roll. Or am I wrong about that? Nope, that's exactly what it is. And it's just that simple. If your goblin's really far away and he's hiding in a bush and it's dark out and you don't have night vision, that's going to be a hard roll. Um, You're trying to pick somebody's pocket but you have one of your friends actually talking to the guy so he's distracted maybe showing him a magic card or doing a little magic trick or something and then you sneak in behind him to you know, pocket the key off the jailer guy, that would be an easy roll because the guy's totally distracted. And it's just simple things like that, which which make that roll, you know, 15%, I guess, harder or easier. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I find that one of the things I really want to do mostly in uh, RPGs nowadays, because I'm like running out of patience, things like Savage Worlds, where more often than not, it, you're dealing either in a minus two or a minus four if something's more difficult to do, right? And you, but you always need to like hit four to succeed. And I like those types of things because, as you say, like players, they always know if they succeeded or not. And you can just get on with playing the game rather than them waiting for you to come up with something or whatever. Um, additionally, though, we you mentioned the timer earlier as well, right? What's, tell me about the timer. What's the dizzle? Okay, so 
in order to keep things interesting and based on turn order, we should talk about turn order at the same time. There is no initiative. There, there's no dealing of the cards. There's no rolling of the dice. There's none of that. Essentially, the game master sits at the head of the table and depending on where you as a team decide that you want to go, you sit at the table and we just go around in circles. This has been one of the harder things for people to wrap their head around, but this it's it's a sim, it's simple and beautiful for a couple of reasons. Everybody gets to go. There's there's no spotlighting by, you know, boisterous players that are going to you know, everybody follows. Everybody gets a chance to um participate in the story and drive the story in whatever direction it goes. So as the as it progresses around, every time it comes back to the game master, you take the the a d four, and you just fl- turn it. So you would roll it at the beginning and say, let's say it lands on four. After the game goes around four times and it lands, it comes back to the game master. It lands on one. When that happens, you're either going to treat your players or you're going to cast a threat. So here's an example. Uh, back to the goblins in a cave. Um, you're, you're, you're going around, you're fighting these goblins. Um, maybe they're across a cavern or something like that, and, and you've got to cross this chasm or something. So every, you know, it, and we roll a four, the timer comes around, bam, it lands on the, the one, and, and a threat is, is about to happen. Uh, say, let's, you could have something along the lines of uh, a rock slide. Everybody roll dexterity to avoid the rocks falling on your head from above, you know, maybe one of the goblins throws it like a stick of dynamite and you all have to jump out of the way. Or maybe another band of goblins pops out and they, you know, shoot uh, uh, like a whole swarm of arrows or something along those lines. Or you could treat them. You could, you know, you could say that uh, uh, some other monster has come along and maybe temporarily scared them off or something along those lines. Or perhaps they find a thing or, or you know, get some kind of reprieve or something along those lines. But yeah, it's it's an, it's a neat thing that adds a little bit of a sort of um, what's the word? Not suspense, I guess, but uh, suspense, anticipation, those sort of things, and it keeps you as a as a game master on your toes and always sort of thinking about what can I do to make this plain, you know, in a box combat a little more exciting uh, every every couple of turns, and then you roll it, and if it lands on a one, you got to do it again next round. So. So answer me this. Do you roll that out in the open then so the players know that something's going to happen in three turns? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Whatever, it, whatever it lands on, yeah, good or, it could be good or bad, but whatever it lands on, every time it comes back to the Game Master, you just turn it down one more notch until it gets to down to one, and then, bam, surprise, something happens. And the, the mechanic where you have to go around the table, right, and you're, uh, the, instead of initiative, you just go around the table in a circle... One thing I did like about that was the fact that it did create a little bit of atmosphere because even in like mundane scenes, let's say you're at a pub, everyone's describing what they're doing. You kind of get the measure of a character by, you know, how they're acting in like a normal situation, I guess, which I think is kind of cool. But I have to admit, aside from in battles, it's the one mechanic I didn't use when I ran this game. Because I think we tried it for about half an hour and my players hated it because they were just like, we were going around like, the people during like I can't even remember what the scene was but I think they were just talking on the spaceship so are you supposed to use it for everything or just combat um everything yeah okay. the entire the entire game is played that way so 
Um, the one game that we played where the, the same game where you got pickpocketed, there was a scene where you met the old priest um, that rescued you when the, when the uh, from, from the shoreline and he took you to the house. Yeah. After the combat was over and and we defeated those those people that were coming to sort of find out what had happened to the ship and looking for slaves and stuff. Um, on the ride to town, like during your trip to town, um, time changes. It goes from mere moments to what is called like hours or days. Those are sort of the three sort of setups for time. So it's going to take you a couple hours to get to town. Um, combat's over. I would start with my first player, <clears throat> you know, say, Jimmy, what are you going to do for the next hour while you're driving, to, while you're, you know, riding your horse or, or walking to town? And Jimmy could be like, I'm going to learn a spell. I'm going to go scout ahead. I'm going to sneak into the bushes and, you know, search for food or something along those lines. And, and then the premise with the timer, I'm not sure if you're aware of this is, it's everything is supposed to be fast action. So as soon as Jimmy says that, you're like, okay, let's say Jimmy wants to go scout ahead. Um, he's going to make a wisdom check. And if he succeeds, you can either say, okay, you, you run ahead, you, you're scouting for the party and stuff, but it's a relatively um, safe trip. You've, you've succeeded. Or he could even say, you know, this is, again, this is where I need to take a step back. I should actually just let, you know, Jimmy say what happens. He, he, make me a wisdom check and tell me what happens if he passes or fails. Maybe he's, maybe he fails and he wants to do another battle, <laughs> right? I yeah. find a band of goblins or something along those lines. No, but I it's, it. um, the only thing I'm thinking of is like, like that makes sense, right? Cause you're out in the wilderness. Everyone's taking an action. That makes sense. Cause chances are in any other game, you know, people are going to do that. But what I'm saying is like, what about just having a conversation? Cause the thing is, I remember the one when we played, um, obviously the game was like, um, kind of linear, and we were going between scenes and things like this. So we did. There wasn't much, uh, much talking other than, "Hey, here's the mission. Go and do it." And it was like, "That's fine." But let's say you're playing like a longer campaign, right? And the players are just talking to each other. Do you go around the table in that instance, or is it just okay? We're talking, so it's free. Um. Okay. So I would still go around the table in that instance as well. Right. But the idea is, it, let, let's say you're just sitting in a tavern. The waitress is going to interact with everybody on an individual level. First, they, he, she starts with Jimmy. And, you know, let's see what Jimmy does. Jimmy, the waitress, walks up. And she's like, oh, hello, love. Can I get you something? Jimmy's like, oh, I'll have this and this. And by the way, you know, this is where this is where practice makes perfect and will also make better players. Because, like I said, the premise is, is that you showed up to roll some dice and, and play the game. So Jimmy should be setting himself up to do something. Maybe Jimmy says, hey, love, uh, have you heard of any jobs or whatever? And then I would say, Jimmy, make a wisdom check. Uh, he whether or not he succeeds and you know basically she's like oh there's a board outside or she's like no i haven't heard of anything right and then yeah and then that's jimmy's turn then we go on to the next guy tommy tommy what are you doing while you're in the bar he's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna sneak around uh, order myself a drink and i'm gonna sort of mingle with the people and maybe try and pick some pockets okay give me a dexterity check and let's see if you succeed maybe that starts a fight Right. Maybe he fails, yeah, okay. start fight. And then once he's once he's in fight mode, he's looking around with a panic look in his face and you go to Billy and Billy's like, oh, shit, a fight's about to break out. He maybe Billy wants to stand up and try and quell the crowd or maybe he wants to join in the fray. Um, depending on what he's going to do, you would make him immediately roll. And then it's sort of just like each person should be able to carry the story on so that the next person can pick it up and sort of roll with it is the way I, I sort of see how it should work. So but, it, it, I'm assuming it took like a bit of adjustment before you were able to like 
hit that mechanic off perfectly. It's been a lot of practice, yes, but it's actually getting really good. I play Sunday mornings with uh, with Matt and, and uh, a few other guys, and it's getting better. It's getting to the point now where I'm like, I stop myself if I start to sort of interject and I step back and I'm like, you explain what happened. And we just sort of go from there, which is pretty neat. But it, it does take a little bit of practice and a little bit of getting used to. But also, you can speak out at any time. It's just you can't really make an action. So let's say Billy Billy's picking pockets and he's sort of starting a fight. One of the guys that's there maybe doesn't want to get into a fight and he could basically just stand up and say, Billy, get, you know, get over here, calm yourself friend or something along those lines. And essentially just tell Billy that in that single sort of sentence that he's not looking to start a fight, like, let's not do this. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's Johnny's turn and you're walking down this cave and, and there's a, a passage that goes left or right. And, uh, Johnny's like, because it's Johnny's turn, Johnny's like, Oh, I'm going to look at the floor and maybe do a little bit of investigation and sort of see if I can see foot tracks or footprints either way. Okay. Make a wisdom check. And then whether or not he succeeds, he decides to go left or right. That doesn't stop another player in the party from putting his hand on their shoulder and say, I think friend that we should go this way, or we should take a group, you know, make a group decision. And, and that, that sways the vote. So you can still speak up sort of out of turn, but it, it is essentially his turn to sort of, you know, make the story happen, if that makes sense. I see exactly what you mean, yeah. So it's sort of like that that person can just quickly chime in, but the spotlight is not on them. They don't do an action. But if they wanted to perhaps calm the fight down, they'd have to wait their turn. Exactly, yeah. It, yeah, that it makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's like you can you can pipe up and say some things and sort of, help steer the story a little bit you're like you know maybe i don't know how to i guess to best explain it uh you know maybe you're maybe you pick your cell phone up and you're looking at your cell phone and then your wife grabs a steering wheel because you're swearing swerving off the road kind of a thing it's sort of that scenario right like well the penguins have made it and they're going up against the golden knight interesting the penguins have outflanked the golden knight they're uh pushing in with a rear attack he is now Caught both sides, classic pincer maneuver, just the way the World War II soldiers were done in. But one of the things as well that um, I really, really liked from this game, which it simplifies everything. As you say, like a lot of this game is all about streamlining in a way that kind of makes sense. And there's one thing, the way that hit points work or wounds or whatever you want to call it, um, is quite interesting with the heart system. Do you want to explain that to our dear listeners? Sure. It, it's this is the one part about the game that I find a little bit of frustrating uh, frustration with because I really prefer the Savage Worlds way of dealing with things as in wounds. Yeah. But essentially, one heart equals ten hit points. So when you start the game off, you start with one heart, which basically means that you just have ten hit points. Um, you can take a milestone and get a heart stone, which basically is you know it's it's a magic crystal, I guess, or something along those lines, and you press it into yourself however you want to decide or describe how it happens you basically get another 10 hit points it's kind of like a level up right yeah um, everything works that way and it has a maximum too so the the toughest monsters in game will have five hearts that's as many as you can get and the reason is is because combats can have a tendency to drag on inside of dungeons and dragons you know what i mean like they can mm -hmm. in, in especially tactical combat and whatnot so they take a long time so you want to limit 
the actual amount. But those, because they're limited to like say five hearts or 50 hit points, remember you're only doing six at, at, a, at a low level. So if you're fighting a goblin and a goblin has one heart and the most you can do is six plus your modifiers, you're never going to be able to kill the goblin in one swing, but it could be dead in two until you get some cool magic items that might light it on fire or do another thing as as it progresses and stuff like that. So, but... Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I actually liked it because the what I do, I do agree with you on that point about how the heart system it can feel sometimes like an attrition type game. Because what I like about Savage Worlds or DCC or something like that is that often the damage you're dealing with means that people can be taken out in one hit, and I actually think that's important, especially for like really low, like the mooks and the the grunts. You know what I mean? But I liked it because the the one thing, and I use this in pretty much all my games now, is they have, um, if there's a, something that's giant or a vehicle, then it has chunks. And the hearts mean exactly the same thing as they do to, for a door or a part of a vehicle as they do for a monster, which means like, okay, this is a half a heart door. So a player immediately knows that's probably a crummy door and I can smash through it in a couple of hits, which I think is kind of cool. But yeah, I, the, I do get you, like, sometimes if you get a 10-hit-point monster, if people are swinging with a 6, unless they're extremely lucky, they're not going to kill it in two hits. I think my 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 problem with it is that mathematically it's weird because when you're looking at a goblin that's a one-heart monster, and it's, and it's one, you're dealing with the number one. It is a one-heart, one monster. And then when yeah. you hit it, all of a sudden you're like, it's now become six not six hearts but now it has six hit points because you only did four so you go from one to six and you're like and it's just like it, it feels weird in a linear progression what i would like to have seen if i if i may throw out my suggestion is the only way that you can kill it is by doing more than one heart's worth of damage like which is 10 let's say let's say a heart is equal to 10 hit points the only way you can kill that goblin is by doing more than 10 hit points, maybe in a round as it goes around the table or in a single shot. But let's take soak out of the equation where you can't actually absorb the damage. So in, in order to take the goblin out, you you actually maybe have to get lucky or or have a, you know, those, I don't know, something along those lines where you're not breaking 10 down into smaller segments, which I think, or one becomes 10, which, but other than that, it still is a hit point attrition system. And uh, that cool, that kind of cool stuff applies across the board for things like knocking a door down. You could put one heart on a door or one heart on a lock. And while you're in combat fighting a bunch of, you know, a, a troll or something like that, and one guy's trying to pick the lock to this door so that you can get through it, that also adds another cool element to the battle scene. So your thief, in order to pick the lock, has, uh, you know, has like thieves tools, which would give him a six. You would consider that a weapon or a tool. Uh, and he's he's picking the lock or whatever, and he he succeeds his dexterity check, which is based on the scene of the room. And then once he succeeds, he's he rolls his effort, which is a d6. Let's say he's got magic tools that allow him to roll double effort. Now there's a good chance he could pick that lock in a single swipe, which which adds another cool element. Other than you just succeed, you pick the lock. Let's move on. It, it gives the thief the uh, you know that that ability to adjust his character a little uh, a little more fine tunely I guess would be the, the sort of the way. Yeah, I found that that actually it worked out kind of cool with the um, hearts on inanimate objects and things like this when we played because we used the sci-fi setting warp shell. And it was pretty funny because there were there would be times where 
there's a, a battle going on, but then somebody's they they can be occupied with something during the battle while it's going on. It doesn't necessarily have to be like you say the thief rolls once to unlock the door. They really have to put the work in, which actually feels kind of cool because there's this big fight going on, and all the while this guy's trying to score big numbers on a door and things like this. It was really cool, and yeah, the chunks thing with the the hearts on um, different parts of a vehicle was just epic because we had that they had a um, space fighter type plane thing and uh, yeah they were going up against these gigantic things and all you have to do for that is go okay this bit's got one heart this bit's got two this bit's got one and they were flying around to different parts people were trying to fight off other other things and while while those guys were trying to break into the mothership and it was it really was so quick to do which i thought was awesome and yeah that should be in every game i think <laughs> that's the cool part about icrpg like the mechanics for it are sort of universal like say like savage worlds um inside this game has been out for maybe a year or two years i think maybe maybe two or three years hmm. i'm not quite sure maybe two years but since it's come out there's already it, it comes with a fantasy setting it comes with a sci-fi setting he did um in the world's book ghost mountain so now you've got a western setting if you go on to some of the boards, there's a pirate setting that you can get. There is um, uh, like a, a special ops military kind of setting like Rainbow Six. Yeah. Somebody's done a setting for that. Um, he's come out with Blood and Snow, which is you play like cavemen and stuff like that, trying to survive in the wilderness kind of a deal. So there's that setting. But it, and, and then if you look at what people have done with um, – porting in other systems and stuff like that or other genres or, or settings and whatnot like uh, fallout or or just creating their own stuff holy crap because of the simplicity of the system there is probably like 15 to 20 different um settings that you could play in it, it's it's become quite popular um one of the cool parts uh, that i really like about warp shell being the sci-fi setting is the force shield module I don't know if you ever played with this, but I played with uh, one of my players had it as a tank. And what it does is it allows you to ignore any damage of four or less. So anytime you get hit, boom, the shield pops up and absorbs up to four points of it, which is pretty cool. How tanky does that make your cool tank? <laughs> yeah, we had, because um, the setting that we were playing, uh, it was Warp Shell. We were using the Warp Shell stuff, but it was... Um essentially just a ripoff of Mass Effect and all I really had to do was just rename the classes available in the book and that was it it was done but the funny thing is is we had James who's playing a Krogan they're basically these gigantic like frog-like tanks and he had that and it was funny because the whole game nobody did any damage to him because he was he was just lucky not to have got anything above a five and they keep on trying to hit him and in one point uh I think that it was like uh it might have been that somebody got ultimate effort and then boom, he was dead instantly. Yeah, let's not Except forget times. hero coins. Yeah, uh, did you did you deal out hero coins like Benny's? I did, but um, I the advice that I think the book kind of gives, like for those that don't know, Benny is uh, kind of a re-roll token, like lots of games have them. In this, you have hero coins. It works kind of different, but the advice I saw in the book, it said... Um, you have to give out hero coins when something truly spectacular is done and it's not as quick as giving out bennies in like Savage Worlds, for example. Is that right? Yeah. I I started giving them out a little more frequently um, than, you know, I was probably, I think I gave out two or three um, when I was playing in my Sunday games, but it, it, the mechanic behind it is back to the ultimate dice. You have basically your four, you have your, your D4, your six, your eight, and your 12. 
Those are your damage. And 12 is ultimate. So what a hero coin is, is it allows you to cash in this hero coin and roll ultimate. Now, you don't actually just roll ultimate, but you roll it and add it on to whatever it is you already rolled. So that increases your chance of succeeding. Um, it, it comes in super handy. You, know, you go back to the thief trying to pick the door and your party's getting smashed by this troll. He's like, I want to use my hero coin or my hero token so that he can not only roll his D6, but he gets to roll his D12 and add it to the total to increase the effort that he puts into that one heart lock. Um, which makes for like a you know like a very heroic sort of feel to it. He's like, I'm really trying to, you know, work this lock, and he's like, ah, and he cashes in his hero coin, yeah, ching. But maybe he duffs it and rolls a one, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So it's cool. It, it adds. It allows you to add a d12 to any roll you add it on top of, um, whether it's an attack or it's damage or or I guess effort is what it's called, um, on any one of those things. So you know, in a pinch, you can you can cash that in. Maybe you only need to roll a one to to make that hit a success. Um, and I find that actually giving them more than one hero token um, made some for some really interesting play and and watching the players decide where they felt they needed to pull off this sort of heroic action was is becoming a little a little more fun for me in my games yeah because i i liked that a lot and i find it i found it a, a tiny tad strange that they said you know to give them out on kind of rare occasions because when I, I basically played a two shot um on, on a sci-fi game and well i ran one i should say and then um, yeah it was really fun but uh i i think for shorter games i think it would be absolutely okay to you know, deal it out like like candy. Well, not like candy, but a little bit like candy. Um, I was going to say, like, one of the things that we haven't touched on, because we've nearly actually gone over everything you need to play play the game, and it is really yep. that simple. But um, the, in each setting, um, Warp Shell, uh, Alfheim, whatever, the classes, they have specific abilities. So it does have classes, but you can kind of build them differently depending on which abilities you take at character creation. Can you remember any of those off the top of your head? Yes. What are some of those? Give some examples. Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing, and, and here's here, this This is why I was confused about it, is because I wish they would have called these archetypes as they do in Savage Worlds. You're not bound to taking this. If you want to take, these are just recommendations because this is really like a do-it-yourself sort of uh, um system and, and whatnot so you're not bound to let's say for if you wanted to take the tank class there's nothing to stop this is um for the warp shell class for example your recommended gear might be a ring of might which is going to give you an increase in strength a common shield just allows you to add one point to your armor class so your armor class would still be 10 but because you're making a tanky character they recommend taking extra armor uh, extra armor could be a helmet could be a chest plate could be leggings and each one of those is going to give you plus one uh, you know up to however many points plus you could put armor in it so you could quite honestly you could start off with like a 19 armor class right out of the out of the gate um, Duranium Blade and a Blast Rifle. Both of them do D6 because that's weapon damage. One of them you could shoot over range. The other one you got to be up close. The starter reward for the tank is the Force Shield that I was talking about, which ignores any damage of four or less. But that's, that is just recommendations. If you wanted to, for example, take like a broadsword and not have a shield, you're welcome to do that. And if you skim through some of the other ones, you could take things like, um, uh, what is this one? Uh, targeting lasers. 
So on a weapon attempt of 18 plus, you do ultimate effort. What that means is on your you could put that targeting laser on your blast rifle as a tank. When you pull your blast rifle out, you're, you're actually, and you roll over 18, you get to do um, a D12 instead of a D6 as long as you get over 18. Now that 18 is modified, remember, so if you put points into your shooting or your dexterity uh, as a tank, um, let's say you get plus three, the target number is uh, a 13, you've got plus three from your dexterity, that makes that target number sort of a 10, or you get plus three to your roll, and uh, you roll over an 18, you're, you're automatically doing D12. And you can choose from any class, Harrison. I, do, I didn't know that at all. That's what That was one of the things that confused me, because I think this is a really open system, and I thought that's the one thing holding it back. So if, say for example, like the milestone rewards... It says that they're, they're specific to each class, right? But you're saying, like, that's just kind of a recommendation. If, if say, I started as a tank and I felt, actually, I'm enjoying stealth more, I could pick the one from the, the ghost class, for example, and just be like, yeah, yeah you know what? I want the smoke capsule. Mm-hmm. Yep. These, cool. they're just recommendations. Um, the reason that they're, they're listed under it is because they're like, let's say you take the guardian ones, they're tanky, right? Mm-hmm. The milestone reward for the, for the fantasy tank would be a battle standard allies fighting next to you gain plus two armor. That sort of helps everybody out, but it, it kind of makes you like a little, uh, it helps everybody become tanky because you're so tanky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take a hard stone for extra health, a spike shield. Even if you miss, you still do damage. You do three damage on a missed attack. A war horn. So this is a neat one too. You can blow this horn and give an ally plus three on their next attempt. Uh, skin of amber gar you can consume to be immune to damage for three rounds so you don't take any damage or guardians boots uh designate an ally absorb any damage they take but those yeah those are guardian class sort of tanky sort of things that you can take that help you protect your players is is sort of like what the the idea behind the guardian is but yeah you could take them on any class there's no restriction that way that's awesome well, it sounds pretty decent, and I, uh, you know, I've I've played, uh, I've run two games and maybe played in three something like this, and every time I played it, I've had an absolute blast. And I think that I'm not sure why, but apparently the hankering who wrote this doesn't like the term OSR, but I think it would work really well. As he he mentioned once that it was like a toolkit, and if you're playing an OSR game, all of this would slip right in. Um, same goes for D&D, whatever. You could use all of this stuff. Um, especially the one thing that I really liked and um, ported over was, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, random tables. They're useful in any game, as long as it's you know one of those genres. But still, there's, there's just so much good stuff on those tables. It's amazing. I, I use them in my uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess game. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. The monsters are simple in this game. Uh, you have goblins, gerblins, and goblins. Um, any of the monsters that are in the back, gargolith, flimes, uh, there's flaming skulls, eye beasts. Um, they all are, have, they're re- easy to read, easy to understand what they do, how they work. They're, there's not too much as far as that goes. Um, there's In ICRPG, because it's about running a better game and not just fighting in a box, there's a whole... Uh, section on encounter when he calls encounter archetypes running you know putting a barrier between your your you and your play or your your monsters um there's the thing called like the tangle where you 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 know they they get 
strapped in vines or something like that, or there's a lock or um, the pinch, the kite ambush, stuff like that. Like it gives you cool ideas on how to make it a little more challenging and stuff like that. Uh, one of the other things too is um, it has a dynamic dice system. Uh, if you're playing um, a fighting class where you're trying to do damage and stuff like that, anytime you miss, um, the dynamic dice will allow you to take a D6 and up it by one. So you go from one to two to three, et cetera, et cetera. And you add that onto your attack modifier until you hit. Um, it works the similar for the tank where he, every time he takes damage, he rolls it down. When he rolls it down, he makes a constitution check. On a success, he gets to add uh, health back. Um, Spellcasters, very similar they roll, um, I think it's a D4, and every four rounds, because there's no mana, there's no mana, there's no there's no level of spells and and whatnot. It's it's all, all of that stuff is taken away because it's it's uh, anyways. What you do is you just roll the D, you have a D4 timer. When it gets to four, you either make a Wisdom or Intelligence check depending on whether you're a magic user or a priest. And if you succeed or fail, if you fail, you roll it again, and that's how many rounds you can't cast it. So the, here's the cool part. As a, a this is a, the, so many things about this game I just think are fantastic. You don't have to keep track of spells. As a spellcaster, you feel ultimately powerful because right out of the gate you can choose to cast fire blast, and you can do it multiple times and just blast the friggin' crap out of everybody. But then there's going to be that odd chance where you've cast so many times uh, that you you come to that D4 and you fail that, and, and you get no magic for, say, four rounds. Now it's forcing you to use your staff and your dagger because you're, like, waiting for your sort of pool of mana to recharge. Ultimately, things like that are cool. The, the coolest thing about all of it, though, is that you don't have to use any of it. If you wanted to use cards like Savage Worlds does for rolling dice, you're free to do that. Um, if you wanted to change the heart system to, you know, just a straight attrition system, you're free to do that. It's literally like a, a do-it-yourself toolkit for how to play a game. Now, um, what I'm currently doing is um, I'm, I've gone back to um, Adventures League um, Season 1. And I'm running that entire campaign, Season 1 Adventures League, um, with ICRPG in its place because I want to sort of get that campaign feel to see how it holds up campaign style. So far, pretty good. And the more I play it, because this is this is probably, I want to say, maybe my eighth or ninth game that I've DM'd. The more I play it, the better it gets. And, mm -hmm. and I, it's so fast-paced. I don't have to look anything up. And, and really, what is what is a role-playing game, or why do we roll dice? All we're trying to do is resolve um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say a whatchamacallit. I'm going to say a whatchamacallit on your show. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, man. That's, right? That's Gary's famous saying. Every time we play with him on um, Tabletop Simulator, we um, every time he says it, we type it in the chat. I don't know if you've noticed that. No, I haven't seen it yet. It's you always dick. you go up to the it, swing your it, and now yeah, there's loads of Watchamacallit coming out of the thing. Right, but we we roll dice to resolve a situation, and yeah. and that determines the sort of the course of the story. Um, so you don't need to have all these freaking tricky mechanics of adding this and add, subtracting that and doing this and, you know, like adding in distance or, you know, here, here's a distance modifier. He's in the dark. He's at far range. And you're trying to think in your head, OK, that's going to be minus two, minus four, minus six. Uh, you got a sort of a broken bow. Maybe your bow's fatigued and you got to add that on. And now you're at minus seven trying to hit a four and you got to roll. You know what I mean? It's just like D20. Here's the scene number. Make a hard roll. Done. It's very, very simple, and that stops the mechanical part of the game from slowing down the cool part of the game for me, which has become the story. 
versatility across the board. We want to talk bang for your buck. I'm told I should I should literally be like uh, Hankerin's um, his his what's PR the, manager. His, there, thanks, pal. See, I watched McCullough. You covered me. <laughs> um, I think sixteen bucks is what you get the book for uh, through Drive Through RPG, but it comes with a fantasy setting. It comes with the sci-fi setting Warp Shell, which is also very cool. Uh, the core book is full of like monsters, your typical monsters and stuff like that. It's full of adventures. There's probably ten or so or more different adventures. It tells you how to be a better DM by you know making your games a little more interesting. Um, so it's got encounter types. Uh, it's got um, uh, the story architecture, the dynamic dice, the spells, and uh, you know what I mean. It's it's 200 pages of, of literally what I feel is pure genius for uh, for a. Somebody that wants to run a fast action, fast paced in everybody involved storytelling game is what it is. Everybody contributes, which I really like about it. I can't yeah. say enough things about it. It's it's almost become my new favorite system. Well, I think in that case, I know your um, uh, podcast, the Murder Hobo Show, has just had a bit of a reboot. But the old episodes, the ones you did about ICRPG, all available still? Yeah, everything is all available. Yeah, that reboot basically just turned me into more of a generic show like the 3T podcast because, uh, you know, you can only really sit here and, and be like um, a blubbering idiot about a system for, for so many episodes. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we get it. We well, get I you like the RPG. I, I like those episodes. The thing is, your podcast is so um, entertaining. I always – I listen to all the Rifts ones and I don't, I've never even played it. Well, I played it once and it wasn't very good. But – the, the point is is that, yeah, if you think this uh, system, dear listener, sounds interesting, go go and listen to Gary's podcast and you'll get you have a good time. It's, it's uh, Gary and Victor gushing about this system, but they do teach you stuff too, which is awesome, and how to play it, how to use certain systems better. Yeah, it's really, really, really entertaining. And I think, I think the game's fucking awesome, even though some <laughs> of our peers think it's shite. Uh, there's, you know, it, the funny part is anytime they say a thing, the people that we hang with, I, 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 I don't know if I've told you this, but I've told them this anytime they say a, a negative thing about ICRPG, it just makes me realize that they're just idiots that don't understand the system because they've either said it wrong, understand it wrong, or think that it doesn't work the way that it does. And it's just, it just makes them look dumb when they say it like the board game. <laughs> they're like, Oh, it's like, it's like a board game. Cause you go around in a circle. Well, <laughs> There's so many bonuses to doing that. Like, look at stupid Genesis's initiative system, Jamie Pearson. You cut that piece. <laughs> no, that's staying in. But no, I do agree. In comparison to Genesis's, in, and see, even saying that is annoying. Um, but their initiative system is fucking terrible. Like, it really is. Just uh, it, actually, it's pretty cool, but it takes way too fucking long. It is cool. It's gimmicky. It's cool. But I, I agree. Like, you, you know, you got to sit there. Everybody has to roll their dice, add their modifiers, write a number down in a card, organize the cards in a specific, you know, order. And then everybody has to sit there and fight over who gets to go first because you, you you fold them into player slots. Right. So you have you have let's say you have four players and you have uh, two monsters. That's six slots of, of things that can go. All four players can go in player slot one or two if they're if they're first. And you just get people arguing over, oh, I want to go because I want to do this cool thing. Or, oh, let me go because I'm going to cast Fireball before we all get in there and start blasting them. And it just becomes this great big friggin' I want to, I want to, I want to. It's it's really weird. I, I've, I've seen it a few times and it, it sort of steers me away from wanting to do that. 
Well, I'm playing it again when I come to visit you guys in America. So I've, I've signed up to a game, another Genesis game. Well, I quite liked it. But anyway, point is, is um, the ICRPG initiative system is quite good. And the one thing I will say is I found that my players didn't like the fact that there was no kind of randomness or dice determining who went first. So a good way to remedy that is still go around the, the table clockwise, but just have everyone roll and whoever got the highest goes first. That's what I did. Yeah, you could do that, or take a, take a page out of Savage Worlds and use the card system. Yeah, and then when a Joker comes up, hand out heroic coins. Eh? Yeah, great idea. Yeah, so, but it is it's such a modular game; it can be used pretty much with anything, and I do use it a lot with anything. You know, the monsters in there are amazing, the fucking uh, items, all of this shit. But I think we've spoken too much about it. There's one last thing I want to ask you, Gary. What's the book like in terms of how it looks? We're talking sexy. We're talking fuckable. Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, Brandon, um, Brand, yeah, Hankerin is a, Brandish is his name, not Brandon. Brandish, he's even got a freaking cool fantasy name, man. His name is Brandish <laughs> Gilhelm, which if that isn't a freaking fantasy character to, to begin with, he's actually like an artist, man. He draws some fantastic freaking pictures. The book is loaded with his own personal artwork, which is all black and white, but in its simplicity tells so many, um, you know, like they say, a picture is worth a thousand words yep. because his, his artwork is all black and white. It just, man, there's so many things that you can pull out of it. He's illustrated the entire book himself. Um, you also get inside the index cards, you get a hundred pieces of art with that. You get little um, paper miniatures that you can cut out. I, I can't say enough good stuff about it. It is such a value for like the, you know, the, the 15, 16 bucks that you're going to pay for it that, and the shit that you get out of it. Man, some of the some of the cool space stuff, like the guns and the turrets, and the there's one of the characters that you can play is actually he's a he's a tank, but he's an actual hot water tank. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's it's like your 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 tank character is like a round cylinder with a face and legs and arms, and he's got a sword and a shield and stuff. He's actually a hot water tank tank. <laughs> That's awesome. But I remember. Um... Uh, him saying at some point because the artwork some people will look at it and think it's quite simplistic but what like you said it communicates everything by being simple you can see the thing's got a sword it's quite big this and the other so all of the monster descriptions they don't actually have descriptions they just have a picture and then what it can do that's it none of this reading mm -hmm. like a whole fucking page to know what a vampire does as you mentioned on your podcast recently yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's the, one of the cool parts about Savage Worlds. Sort of took out all that. Everybody knows what a vampire does. Everybody knows vampire lore. Why bother writing it in there? It's just extra stuff you're going to spend your time reading. Let's add some cool things. You know, fly, flying vampires that can instantaneously pop into a, a puff of cloud and turn into bats. And, you know, maybe they all attack you or something cool like that. All right, cool. So the book is lovely. Nice. The game's fucking good. All right, so. It's well worth it. And it's it cheap. Is, it really is. What do you guys think happened? One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. Well, that's kind of far out. Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Okay, yeah. so thanks for coming on, man. Um, seeing cool. as you've, if you've uh, given us your time, you're allowed to plug something now. What would you like to plug? Um, if I said you, would that be inappropriate? If, as I confess my love once again? You have to buy me a drink first. <laughs> just one <laughs> that's all it takes man i'm easy wow uh what do i want to plug um i run a youtube channel that is a hot piece of flaming turd where i do videos 
that show you how to use Tabletop Simulator as a role-playing sort of tabletop kind of a thing. Instead of using Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds, which are mechanically dense and do a lot of things in the background, um, I like the simplicity of Tabletop simulator because there is no mechanics and uh, i'll show you how to make some cool maps and throw things in games where you can actually play like in a virtual 3d environment so you can have buildings and whatnot and hide behind them and get on top of them and yeah cool things like that and then my show is the murder hobo show which has just actually been revamped because i did a savage riffs podcast and i did a uh threats tweets and timer podcast pigeonholing myself into just being able to talk about those and i play a lot of dungeons and dragons and have uh, a lot of interest in other rpgs um i'm actually to tell you something interesting Brittany, uh my friend Brittany from the gaming store just bought made so oh, guess nice. what i'll be <laughs> yes. i thought you might like that let me know yes, how you get on with it man that that is a fucking good game yeah, that's I'm I'm excited for it because of the excitement from when you were talking about it it's going to be interesting i like to see how i do in a maid's dress oh you <laughs> You're in for a treat there, man. Just don't don't wear the outfit. I don't think it's your style, honestly. Oh, Mon- fantastic. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's ICRPG. Go and buy it now. Also, listen to the Motor Hobo Show. Bye. Bye.